Um, this morning's reading is taken from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, uh, starting uh, in chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our are, which are more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Um, let me just give you a, a, a little bit of an idea of where we're headed, really, um, between now and, and Easter. Um, regardless of whether we're gathering or not, um, whether we gather or not, we, we still intend to kind of uh, give you content um, as we work through our, our series uh, through here, whether that's us gathering together in smaller groups or you as your family or some other kind of combination of that. So um, when we talk about, especially some of these, some of these um, uh, discussions around spiritual gifts and things like that, oftentimes what we want to do is we want to just jump straight into the, tell me what they are. Well, let's, let's, what are all of these spiritual gifts and how do I use them and what is this gift compared to this gift and all of that? And I wish Paul would have done that, but he didn't. Um, you think he would start off going, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. So let me tell you what each spiritual gift is and exactly how you use it, uh, and, but he doesn't do that. Um, and so we're gonna, I'm going to try to teach this the way that I think the Bible teaches it. And, and what we see here is Paul's not, his main concern isn't, isn't that we know exactly what each spiritual gift is. Because he gives a partial list here, he gives a partial list uh, in 14, he gives a, a different partial list in Romans, a different one to the church in Ephesians. I don't think there is like a, here are the exact 23 gifts that the, the Spirit bestows. The Spirit bestows all kinds of gifts as he decides to do that. What Paul's mostly concerned with with Corinth is framing their understanding of how they're using their spiritual gifts and how they're thinking about those spiritual gifts. Now, that being said, I also don't want us to be uninformed at all. And so he does list some gifts. And so what my intention is today is to finish this chapter. 13 is the kind of height of his framework. It's really what he wants us to understand. All of how we're using our gifts is, is in the understanding and framework and thinking through the lens of how we use them to love. 
And then in 14, he's going to talk more about kind of tongues and prophecies and, and, and things like that. So my plan is we'll finish this chapter today. We'll look at 13 next week. Then we're going to take a couple weeks to kind of not just look specifically what he talks about in 14. We'll, we will do that. But we'll also look back at some of these other lists and try to give us a little bit of an overview of, well, what, is, what are the spiritual gifts exactly? Um, give us some idea of descriptions of what those are. And so we'll look at some other passages uh, during that time. So that's kind of um, where we're headed over the, over the next few, few weeks, whether that's here together or not um, in that. So this morning, we're looking at this idea of there's one body, one church, with many members. And this is going to push back on us as postmodern kind of folks because we really don't like the idea of, depend, of dependence. Um, we really are an independent people. Now, Europe might not be as, as much as um, allergic to dependence as maybe the United States. We love us some independence in the United States. Um, and so Europe might not quite be there, but the bottom line is, is, is us as postmodern, kind of Western, enlightened kind of folks, our natural reaction and atrophy is not toward de- dependence. It really is toward individualism and independence. Um, our sense of kind of being free to do what we want to do. That's why I think this next few months is going to be interesting. Um, when we're going to be limited on what we can do and what we can't do. And, and the amenities that are available to us that we're used to. Um, maybe this will be um, something that we'll learn and grow through that. I think it's because dependence often sounds too much like invented weakness. Um, if I need you, then that must mean there's something deficient in me. It must mean I'm weak if I need other people. And none of us want to admit that we're weak. None of us want to admit that we might have deficiency in our life, that we aren't self-made um, people, that we aren't uh, self-sufficient people. We do like the idea of community, Right? We, we like the idea of community. We like the idea of being in community as long as it doesn't cost us our autonomy. <laughs> but that's, that's a false sense of, of community. And it's not really a biblical idea of community as we are known in the church. The way that God has actually created us to live in community, is, what's baked right into that design is us depending on one another, is us actually needing one another. And this is what Paul's concerned about. He's concerned about the propriety of, their, of the Corinthians' worship as they're coming together. And he's concerned for a couple different reasons. One, their own understanding. Their own understanding of, of not just the gospel, but the implications of the gospel. How that works out. He's concerned about their own growth. Their own uh, uh, gr- growing in the spirit themselves. So that's one, one reason. The other reason, as we'll see as we move into these chapters, is he's concerned about their witness. He's concerned about people actually seeing this as, as a community and not seeing really any difference from the rest of the world around them. Because at the moment, as we've seen so far, they're still acting a lot like they were before they received the gospel. There, there hasn't been the kind of changes that, that need to have happened or, or should have happened. They've imported a lot of their kind of culture right into their church. And so we've seen already the dealing of Paul trying to to uh, dismantle this kind of hierarchical thinking of them aligning around certain kind of leaders, of classism. They've brought their own kind of uh, uh, socio-stratospheric kind of uh, classism into the church. They just imported sexual um, practices uh, into the church. And so they really have this kind of same worldview in many ways. They're immature, as Paul will say, in their worldview, they're not seeing things the way that they should see them in light of the gospel. And what that's led to is what, is what it leads to in the rest of society. There's division among them. They're not united together. They're acting just like the culture around them. And so there's these divisions around um, whether you're Greek or Jew, um, Jewish background, um, around these different kind of gifts. And that's important for us to understand we as Christians have to be comfortable <laughs> looking different to the culture around us. Um, if we as an alternative community don't look any, uh, any alternative, if we look exactly the same um, as the world around us, um, then something has gone wrong. We have not understood uh, the gospel well. That hasn't impacted our hearts in the way that it should. And this is what Paul is concerned about. 
He's like, I, I want you to understand spiritual realities, um, but the way that you're approaching even the way that God has gifted you, um, because he has gifted each of you, is in an immature way. And it's actually leading um, to things that aren't producing the fruit of the Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit gifts us abilities to accomplish that, to be an alternate um, kingdom community, a community of complementary interdependence. We are, we are to be interdependent on one another in complementary ways, in one that actually then paints a picture of us as a whole in a way that could never be accomplished as us as just a collection of individuals. That's why while, while we might have gathered, I don't know how many people here this morning, 70 people here in this room, um, you could gather 70, a collection of 70 people from all across Belfast in all kinds of different ways. And yet this one should, should as you see the, the body of Christ operating as, as, a, as compared to those others, there should be some stark differences uh, to the way that we operate. And so I want us to think about this idea of interdependence. Uh, on one another, as we're going to see from the text this morning. We're one body um, made up of many members. And so the first thing I want us to see is interdependence is a beautiful gift itself. It's a beautiful gift itself. Look at verse uh, 12. For just as the body is one and as many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. And so it is with Christ. He's given us one body in verse 27 as well. And now you are the body of Christ, and individually, members of that. And so, we are one body. And not just any old body, we are the body of Christ. <laughs> that in itself, one body with many members, um, many parts, one constructed unity um, that God has constructed himself. And by definition, our union with Christ, um, and that's what, what we have, right, when we, when we come to faith... We are united with Christ. We are sealed in the Spirit. And because of that then, we are united to one another. We are united as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so by definition, our union with Christ unifies us together. And when we talk about the body of Christ, when we talk about the church, we're not just talking about village, right? This is, this is one holy Catholic church, small c. That just means universal. That's what the word Catholic means. The universal body of Christ... Those that are on the earth, the genuine followers of Jesus. Theologians call it the invisible church. We're the church visible right now, but the invisible church, the church that, that only God can see, those, those human beings that make up the church, the body of Christ, genuine followers of Christ. When we talk about the church, that's what we mean. And so church isn't just a collection of separate individuals. That's not how the church is made up. We are constructed in such a way that we are one, that we are, are united. Um, it's the thing that Jesus actually prays for. Um, if, you, if you look in, in, in John 15, 16, 17, what he's praying for is that the church would be one, that they would be united together in the spirit. The church isn't, doesn't act like a democracy. Well, as long as we have 51% majority, 51, 49% along party lines, well, then that's, that's what we're going to go with. We don't, it doesn't act like a democracy. It acts as a body functioning together. And so we function as our bodies do. We use this, this uh, a metaphor, this analogy of how a body actually works. And Paul says that's how the church should work, as our body does. One body made up of many parts with many different functions. And he gives us kind of a theological reason for that in verse 13. Why are we one body, as he says in verse 12? For, one, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but, but many. We are one because we are baptized into the same spirit. It is the one spirit of God. It's one baptism um, that we are all baptized into. There's, and that spirit is a unifying spirit, directing, guiding, gifting um, the body. Christ as our head of the body, right? And that's what the head does. The head leads the rest. That's what your brain is. Um, it's guiding, it's directing, it's gifting the whole body. 
Um, In Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 11, this is what Paul writes to them. He says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So if you are a Christian this morning, the evidence of that is that the Spirit of God dwells in you. There's no such thing as someone who belongs to the body of Christ or who's a Christian and doesn't have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. You can come to church. You can go through all those motions. You can do all those. You can be a, a religious kind of person. That doesn't mean you're in the, in the body of Christ. What marks you as being in the body of Christ is that you've been baptized into the body of Christ through the Spirit of Christ. Not just, wa- I don't mean the, the act of water ba- baptism. That's an outward symbol that we have of, of an inward reality that's happened to us. Verse 10, but if in Christ, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, how? Through his spirit who dwells in you. It is the spirit dwelling in us individually that unites us together into one body. The unifying principle is the same spirit dwelling in all of us. It's not whether you're slave or free. It's not whether you're Greek or Jew. It's not whether you're male or female. It's not whether you're rich or poor. None of those things that we tend to think of how we group people together, that's not how we get grouped together in the church. What unifies us isn't our common interest in, in leisure activities, It's not because we're of the same socioeconomic stratus. It's not because we all agree on the same political party. It's not because we're from the same ethnic background. It's none of those things. What unites us together is we have the same spirit that dwells among us, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the spirit of God himself. And so our interdependence, that alone, us being united together through the spirit is a gift in and of itself. The second thing I want us to see is, is the reality or the challenge, really, of our interdependence. Paul's addressing two faulty ways of thinking uh, in this passage to them. Look at verses 15 to 20. He says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less part of the body. <laughs> and if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he choose. If we were all a single member, if we were all the same, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So there's two faulty ways of thinking. In this that we've just seen, there's this faulty way of thinking of, I don't belong to the body. And it's, it's because we're comparing ourselves, right? This idea of like if the foot was like, well, I'm not, I'm not skilled like the hand is. I'm stuck in this shoe and this sock and all I do is kind of like pound on the ground. I don't get to like hold stuff and, and manipulate things and like help feed the body in that sense or wave to people or, or any of that. Well, maybe now in Corona we're getting our chance with foot taps or something, but Paul says this, this way of thinking isn't the it, just because you don't have the same um, role or the same gifts or because you're designed in a different way doesn't make you any less a part of the body. Um, and that kind of thinking can, can leak into the church as well, right? Um, the more visible gifts, as we'll see, well, because I can't sing, because I can't teach, because I, I don't have leadership gifts or, or whatever it may be, we somehow think that we're less than. I'm not as important to the body in that way. But Paul would say that doesn't make you any less part of the body of Christ. <laughs> you are still a part of that. We know this instinctively, right? Because uh, go back to the foot not being as important. If you stub your toe, your whole body reacts, doesn't it? Your brain kicks in, all those nerve endings light up, and we're like, okay, that's pain. We're feeling some pain. Your legs react, your knees bend. Your foot raises up from the ground. Your arms kick into motion, reach down to grab your foot. Your mouth winces. Your voice yells. Your eyes start to look to see what you hit. And then your toe, how bad is it? Am I bleeding? 
the body working seamlessly in harmony. There's no individual body parts that are, that are opting out in that moment. Right? Your whole body kicks in into gear. Imagine if the hand's like, no, hey, that's not my fault. I didn't, I'm, I didn't get stubbed. You got nine other toes down there. They can help you out. No, the hand, the hand is like, no, this, my, my body is in pain. We're all suffering because of that. The whole body kicks in. Every part has its own role. Every part has its own function. Every part is needed. So Paul's addressing an inferiority complex. There are parts of the body like, I'm not, I'm not needed. I'm just a foot. I'm not a hand. I'm just an ear. I, I can't see anything. And this inferiority complex leads to envy. It leads to discontentment. It leads to jealousy. And it leads to division. But there's also a second faulty way of thinking, and it can almost kind of be the other side of the coin. Um, what does he say in verse 21? The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty or, or, or more care which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. The mistake here is, lies in this idea of, well, I don't have any need for you. On the one hand, it's like, oh, they don't have any need for me, this inferiority complex. The other side of the coin is, um, for those of you those that, that are a hand or an eye or something like that, we can uh, go, well, we don't have any need for these people. It's a superiority complex. And this leads to pride. It leads to complacency. And again, it leads to division. And this is what's happening in, in Corinth. This is what Paul's trying to correct. Both attitudes injure and disease the body. Both leave the body less optimal, not working well in a state of disease. And Paul actually says, no, there aren't any indispensable parts. All the parts are important. Verse 22, they might seem weaker because of the way we think about things, because of, uh, of the way that we might import the way our culture sees and ranks importance or value. Paul says, no, it's, they're indispensable as well. The body needs them all. And what we do, uh, remember last week we said sometimes we can, just because someone is gifted, we can assume maturity in that. And Paul says, don't do that. You got all kinds of gifted people with real strong gifts in the church, and they're, they're a disaster. They're not mature at all. They're really immature. But what we can also do is make the mistake of the strength of someone's gifts equally not to significance. And that can be a mistake too. And we'll address some of this because God uses different gifts for different things. But just because the strength of someone's gift doesn't make them any more significant than the other person. He says what seems weaker, not what is weaker, what seems weaker to us is still significant and it's still needed. And in verse 23, those that think things are less honorable, not that they are less honorable, we want to take and bestow greater honor on them. This is the nature of the upside-down kingdom. What gets valued in the world, what gets dis diminished in the world, is, is not the way it is in the church. What gets diminished in, and is seen as insignificant or is less important or, or dispensable in the church is the place that we're like, no, this is, these are the things that get greater honor that we're actually going to care for. Verse 25. The purpose is that there's no division in the body, but the opposite of that, that members have the same care for one another. We should care for one another with the same level, regardless of how we evaluate each other's gifts, giftedness. We're to care for one another. Why? Because in verse 26, if one member suffers, we all suffer together. And the opposite is true. 
If one is honored, then we're, we're all honored together. Why? Because we're one body. We're one body of Christ. We're all individually members of the same thing, the same body. And so that's why Paul says we, we should weep with one another. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Why? Because we share in each other's sufferings, but we also share in each other's victories. This isn't a place where we try to posture, where we're jealous of, that person got some honor. I can get that kind of honor. No, that, we share in each other's honor. A win for you is a win for me. When you're hurting, we're all hurting. Because we're one. I really do think this is some of the most countercultural teaching, at least for our time and place, um, in the Bible. We live in a, in a culture that honors celebrities, sometimes for no reason <laughs> at all, just because... We live in a climate where the more powerful people tend to dominate, where the rich can separate themselves out from the, those that don't have as much, where people, just because we deem them as beautiful, have influence. This is exactly what's happening in Corinth. In the church, they're acting the exact same way. They're aligning along, around leaders that they think are, are more powerful orators, who have more influence. They're disregarding each other when it comes time to the Lord's Supper. I've got mine. You don't have yours? Well, I guess that's on you then. They're not caring for one another um, in, in a way that actually demonstrates that they are all a part of the same thing. And so this isn't the way it should be in the church. We should be marked out as different. And this beautiful interdependence is God's design. It's on purpose. Verse 24 but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. God has composed the body in such a way that by the way we actually act as the body of Christ is countercultural. It's going to be different. And that's what I come back to. Sometimes that's where we struggle. We want to be a part of this thing called the body of Christ, but we don't want to look any different than the culture around us. But the very nature of being a part of the body of Christ is to be different. It is to be united together with people that you wouldn't normally be united together with outside of the church. To get to use your gifts in a ways that you might not have opportunity in other ways. To have people who will actually suffer alongside of you and not just be like, well, sorry, man, that's hard luck. That we actually become a part of a family that we're adopted into. And this interdependence is expressed through that mutual care. And so whenever inferiority or superiority kind of prevails these attitudes, we are way less than what God intended us to be. And this is what Paul's trying to correct. And the implications of how we treat one another within the church also have profound implications to those outside of the church. Because we don't act as the body of Christ in a vacuum, sealed off where nobody can see that. It's the opposite, isn't it? Jesus actually tells his disciples, hey, the way people will know that you're a follower of Jesus is how you love each other. Not how you will even love them, but first and foremost, how you love each other. And so if we're not loving each other, if the body of Christ can't even operate as one, if we're not unified together, and there's divisions and factions and, and all these things in the same way that the world is, what does that actually say about the, the Christ that we are meant to be the body of? Now, listen, don't, don't hear me say that we have to agree lockstep on every iota of, of part of our life. We can, we can disagree on some things, but it's how we disagree should be one out of love and care for one another and of unity together. This isn't uniformity. It's diversity, but it's diversity that actually depends on one another. It's an interdependent diversity, and that diversity is part of the gift. We're not all the same. We have different gifts. We have different abilities. We have different personalities. We have different sense of humor. We have different things that we're interested in. Some of you are extroverts. Some of you are introverts. 
God's created us all in different ways to strengthen one another, but also to strengthen the witness of how uh, we love one another. So a gospel witness is at stake because we are the visible body of Christ. It is him expressing himself through his spirit into his body. In the same way that your head does the same thing, right? So Christ is the head of the church. It's where your brain is housed. Your head determines where your hands go, where you walk, where you look, all that kind of works. Christ is our head, expressing himself through his body. Christ isn't just spirit anymore. It's not just a brain in a jar somewhere. It's, it's an expressed body embodied in the world through us. And God has given us each gifts. So each one of you, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, the Spirit has gifted you in different ways. But notice he doesn't give, us, he doesn't give one person all the gifts. Or... Is everyone, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? Do that, does everybody work miracles? Does everybody have gifts of healing? Do all speak with, do all, no. We all have different gifts. You might have a, a, a cluster, a, 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 a matrix of different gifts, but none of us have them all. Why? So that we all have to depend on one another. It's all of us that are going to make up the body of Christ. Our mutual care is expressed through the exercising of our grace, grace gifts. And so he's given us gifts, and we're to care for one another. There shouldn't be any divisions. We're to honor one another. We're to, we're to care for one another. And how we do that is through the gifts that God has given us. And so we need all of them. Our mutual care is expressed through the exercising of our grace gifts. And that, that brings us to our, the third point that I want to make this morning, is this kind of harmony of our interdependence. The harmony of that. Verse 27, Now you are all the body of Christ, and individually you're members of it. And God is appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, the gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various other kinds of tongues. Does everybody have the same gift? No, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way, which we'll get to next week. So here we have another list. Um, last week, uh, if, if you looked in, verses, um, in verse 8, there was a partial list there. He talks about an utterance of wisdom, an utterance of knowledge, all the same spirit, uh, another gift of faith, gift of gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, ability to discern between spirits, um, tongues, interpretation. So there's these different kind of lists. Here we get another list of apostles and teachers. And Now notice how he talks about this list. Because we're going to say, well, does Paul start to contradict himself here? After saying we're all significant, we're all equal in that way. Now, now he says, well, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then he goes on to list other things. And then he says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Well, if they're higher gifts, does that mean they're lower gifts? And again, then we start to start think about things in a way that, that's not the way that Paul's trying to get us to think. We automatically think higher gifts mean more important or more significant people in that sense. Paul's pointing out the obvious. There are some gifts that are going to come first, and then other gifts will follow on after that. It would be ridiculous to interpret this as a way that the apostle contradicts what he just said. All the gifts are important. But he doesn't deny that some gifts are more foundational for building up the church. Right? So this is what we saw already. The purpose of the gifts are for what? To edify the church. To build up the church. They're for the common good. And he's writing to a new church. This isn't, we tend to think of these things in our kind of established, you know, the church has been here for 2,000 years already. This is Paul, an apostle, who's planting churches and then writing to them and, and, and getting them to be healthy. And so when we think about building a church, um, we start with certain things. Just like you would, if you were going to build a building, you would start with a foundation. You wouldn't start trying to put a roof on something that, that there, there isn't a foundation, there's no walls. 
And so the first thing that, that comes is the apostles. The apostolic teaching um, is the foundation upon which the church was kind of laid. The cornerstone is Christ. So apostolic teaching is shorthand in the, in the Scripture essentially for the essentials of the gospel. What Paul says is first importance. And so those with that, those gifts were coming and planting those churches. The apostles, that apostolic gifting. Now we don't have apostles in the same way that we have apostles uh, in the Old Testament. Or in the New Testament, sorry. Right? But we still have people with apostolic gifting. Um, and those tend to be church planters. They tend to be um, people who are laying foundational kind of um, work to be done. Work then that other people with gifts, prophets and teachers, are kind of next, right? They're going to they're gonna start to build on that foundational teaching. And then alongside of that then, you're going to need people um, with the gift of administration, the gift of mercy, the gift of helps. As the body is being built up, more people are coming, there's more need. Now we need, gift, we need people with the gift of administration, you don't need a gift of administration first if there's nothing to administer. <laughs> you need apostolic teaching first. That doesn't necessarily mean that, well, people with apostolic gifting are way more important than... I'm telling you right now, Village wouldn't be at where, you know, wouldn't have grown to where it's at with some other people with some gifting because I do not have the gift of administration. Ask my wife. Ask the other staff. Not my gift. So we need other people with gifts of administration. You need people who can think in detail. I'm a directional leader. You need strategic leaders as well um, alongside of those things. And it's interesting, even as we've started to talk about my transition, obviously in four months I won't be here. And when we think about, well, what do we already have on our staff and and elder team? And and what do we need to add to that? We're not looking for someone who's just like me. Not looking to replace me like for like. We need someone that has some of the gifts that I have, but we need someone that has some gifts that I don't have because village isn't at a place that it was when I first came. You needed someone with probably some more apostolic teaching, the apostolic gifts. Those apostolic gifts aren't quite as important now that, that things have kind of been established. You need someone with a, a little bit of a different gift mix. And so those are things that we're thinking about, that we're praying about, that we would hope the Spirit makes obvious what this body um, this local body, which sits in the bigger uh, body of Christ, need in that way, trusting that he will gift us exactly what we need in that way. And so we build these kind of um, foundations. It's interesting when Paul talks about gifts, he does prioritize and he kind of orders them in word ministry first because it's, it's the word. It's the good news of the gospel. It's the proclamation of the gospel that advances the church. If you remember in our series in Acts, it was always a proclamation of the word that came first, then demonstration uh, of power and miracles to affirm uh, and to confirm uh, this new good news um, that was there. And so word, word came, and then power and demonstration came after that in response to the word. And we see gifts of service kind of coming behind that. And so there's an order, which is exactly what Paul's getting at. He's concerned about their disorderly worship. The way that they're worshiping and practicing the Lord's Supper is, a, is, is disordered. The way they're using their gifts is disordered. Everyone's trying to use their gifts. Everyone's trying to, to gain power and to, and to get position. And he's like, oh, this is a train wreck. You're not using your gifts for what they're actually for, to serve one another, to love one another. We'll get more into that next week. And so there is an order by which these things start to come in. Paul will talk about the thing that is of first importance is the gospel. And so you would assume then you're going to start with people who have the gift to proclaim and to be able to teach that gospel, lay the foundation that's there, and then other gifts start to come alongside as the church is being built up. Which is why... The scripture is so adamant about the people who carry those kind of gifts. Those kind of foundational, leading kind of gifts. Because those gifts don't necessarily equate to maturity, Paul, when he writes to his young pastors, is like, make sure people that carry those gifts, that are going to be a position of pastor and elder, make sure they have the character that fits those gifts. Make sure they're people of 
that are godly people, that, that are people that walk in integrity, people that have a good reputation with outsiders. Because if you get the foundation wrong, that whole building can collapse. And when that happens, people get hurt, people get injured, people's faith um, is at risk. Look at how Paul talks about it in uh, the book of Ephesians. So um, if you go to Ephesians with me, um, chapter 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So here he's using a, a household a building metaphor and not a body metaphor. Um, so the household of God built on what? The foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So here is he's describing how the church is being built up from the beginning. Jesus is our cornerstone and it's apostles and prophets that are coming in and laying the foundation. In whom, the, uh, and when that happens, uh, Jesus is our cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God. How? By the Spirit. So apostles, um, prophets, then teachers come lay a foundation that's there. And then the Holy Spirit builds upon that. And he uses us, all of us. He grows us into a holy temple in him. How does he do that? Through your gifts. All of us contributing. Imagine if it was just the only gifts he gave was apostles and teachers, and that's it. Man, church would be, one, really terrible. And two, it would just be, it would just be like going to the, like watching Christian Netflix. We would all just be passive. This should be the most passive time, essentially. The, this 45 minutes should be the most passive time in our church. It's an important time because it's foundational. But it's not the be-all, end-all of our church. There are other ways that the church gets built up. He goes on then. For this reason I, Paul, and this is Ephesians 3, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace was given to me for you. I have a gift that I've been stewarding. It's for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his, who? Holy apostles and prophets. How? By the Spirit. So you see, what, what Paul here is saying, hey, first there are apostles, second there's prophets, third there's teachings. It's not some kind of hierarchy of the apostles um, are, are, are the people that are, are way more important than you with gifts of mercy. It's more an order of, uh, an order of, of uh, chronology. The foundation's being laid by people with apostolic, prophetic teaching gifts. And then after that come these other gifts because that's how the church is actually being built up into the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we can look at this interdependence that, that God actually uses to build us up as a way of how he actually constructs that. And so we need to ensure that interdependence. We need to recover that, as he's trying to, to do here, for a couple reasons, and then we'll finish. One, Christ could have seen sinners as indispensable, and yet he doesn't. It's, it's, it's still, when you stop and think about it, <laughs> the one that Christ would save us as sinners who have rejected him um, is incredible. Grace is incredible. But secondly, then, that he would use us as, as the means by which he dispenses his grace and which he calls other people to himself. And he does that by becoming dispensable in our place. He becomes dispensable so that you and I might become the body of Christ by grace. Jesus, the strongest, was laid weak so that us, through his weakness, could be made indispensable and giving gifts to strengthen each other. That's incredible. But we are utterly dependent people. We're dependent on Christ as our head. Christ is our cornerstone. But we're also dependent on the community that he has placed us in because that's the way he's designed his body to work. 
And then the second thing he does is he saves us from self-composition. Right? We see this in verse 24. God has so composed the body. You think about like when you first started, if you're, if you're married or um, the idea of kind of dating, right? Is it's, you're trying to make your best impression, right? You, put, you spend a lot of time maybe trying to get ready. You're never really at rest because you're not really sure in those early kind of days how the person sees you, how they view you. You don't know how you're being evaluated necessarily. You're kind of continually trying to present yourself in a way that, that you might be chosen or that they, that vice versa. Once that becomes a, a covenant relationship, married, there's a security in that. Right? We can let our guard down. We can be more vulnerable. We hopefully are less insecure. Why? Because we, we've been chosen. <laughs> we've chosen that other person. We, we as the church, are, are, are referred to as the bride of Christ, that he has chosen us. And in that, he has equipped us for good works before the foundation of the world. We don't need to self-create. We don't need to self-compose. Because of that, we can rest in his grace. We can rest in the, in the, in the grace gifts that he has given us. We don't have to jealously look for other, oh, man, if I were only like that. If I were only like this, or I wish I had those kind of things. Now, there's a way to pursue gifts and seek gifts, as Paul commands us to, without being discontent and it being motivated for all the wrong reasons. We get to rest in the grace that he has given us, the gifts that he has given us, and in that then care for one another out of an assurance of who we are, out of an assurance of how God has made us, not out of an insecurity of, of, of what we feel like we should have. We get to care for each other because he cares for you. We get to minister out of grace because we have been given that grace. We get to love one another as Christ has loved us. And that's what's exciting about the time that we find ourselves in, particularly right now, um, with coronavirus and all of that. This is a massive opportunity for us to get to use our gifts in a new kind of way. Gifts that might seem less honorable. I'm telling you right now, those of you that have the gift of mercy, now's your time to shine. Those of you that have the gifts of help and service, incredible opportunities lay ahead. Those of us with wisdom or healing or the gift of faith, these kind of unseen kind of gifts, gifts that we don't, we don't all get together and look to the platform and watch. And yet the Bible says are, are indispensable. What an opportunity for us to have a faithful, non-anxious presence as the people of God, resting in His grace, secure in His love, knowing how He has made us, and being confident in our God, confident in our gifts, and humbly using them out of love and service toward others and our neighbors. Not in panic, not in despair, but in a humble, steady confidence motivated by love and being prepared. An opportunity to be the church in a way that, we, that, I've, that I've never seen before, not on this kind of scale. And so we need each other. And we need each other, we're going to need each other in ways that we're maybe not used to exercising gifts and depending on one another in the coming, in the coming weeks and months and up for who knows how long. And maybe this gives us an opportunity to actually exercise gifts in ways that we've not had to before. Um, and what a great opportunity to do that. Um, and so let's continue to lean in and seek the Spirit um, that we would earnestly desire these gifts. Um, and as we'll either gather together to hear or we'll listen together um, next week, we're going to look at this, this more excellent way of how all of these things get framed um, in love. Um, typically a chapter you might hear at weddings. Uh, not that that's completely inappropriate, but it's amazing this uh, chapter that we're going to look at that we think about love in that kind of way is really centered in the middle of us talking about how we love and serve each other with our gifts. Um, and so we'll delve more into that next week. Um, let me pray for us. Father, um, we just pray that your spirit would give us clarity. 
and that you would help us reframe our understanding of who we are as your people, not just individuals, but um, individually, individuals that make up your body corporately. Um, Father, I, I pray as we, uh, for those of us that might not really be sure what our gifts are, or maybe haven't thought of that, uh, Father, that you would uh, guide, that you would direct, that you would stir in us, um, even as we speak about these things in community, that we would be able to affirm and call out those gifts in each other um, and, and care for each other even in that, in that way. And Father, we really uh, want to pray what Jesus prayed, and we ask for the same thing, that we would be as one. Um, Father, we thank you for the unity that you have granted to us. We don't take that for, uh, we don't take it for granted. Um, we know that uh, the kind of unity that we uh, are reading about, that we are studying about, isn't anything that can be manufactured humanly. There's a, a supernatural, spirit-given unity. And Father, we ask for that. Um, we ask for that in the, in the challenging months ahead, um, not just with uh, the, the uh, health concerns that we face globally, uh, but even for us here in our bodies, we think about leadership changes in the future and things like that. Um, Father, we pray and we trust in you that you would, um, that you would allow all of us to use the gifts uh, that we have that are already here in our body. If you need to add to those, Father, we're open to that as well. Um, Father, we love you. We thank you for uh, these gifts that are manifestations of your grace to us. They're just the overflow of, uh, of the gospel, of what Jesus has done for us. And Father, as we even now come, as we celebrate communion in, this, in a different way than we are used to, Father, nothing has changed, even though some things have changed. Uh, it's still your body broken for us, your blood shed for us, this means of grace as you meet with us uh, now together in, 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 the, in a real presence of Christ that is here and among us. These prayers are not just uttered into, into time and space, but to a God who has ears, who hears who has hands and acts in time and history um, and uses us to do that. And so, Father, we count, um, we count that a, a great privilege um, to be a part of your body, and we pray that we would be healthy in that um, and that we would be attuned and attentive to your spirit, uh, guiding us, leading us, um, allowing us to love and minister to one another, um, displaying the character of, of Jesus himself, um, and, 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 and that's what we want to pray for, um, that when people see us as a local church, uh, that they would mainly see Jesus. It wouldn't be about us. It wouldn't be about the way we do ministry. It wouldn't be about the gifts of individuals, um, but when they experience village, they're experiencing the Spirit of God, the presence of Christ, um, thickly and richly among us. Um, Father, we thank you for that even now as we come to uh, proclaim your death and resurrection. Um, through your supper. We ask this in your name. Amen.